0: Welcome to the PCOS podcast. I'm your host, Selene Douglas, degree qualified nutritionist. This podcast is a place to help show you how to reduce your PCOS symptoms. Getting diagnosed with PCOS can be super confusing. It typically comes with very little information about what the condition actually is and how to manage it long term. In this podcast, we cover the keys to understanding what PCOS is, the best approaches to improving your PCOS, and of course, how to reduce your PCOS symptoms through non medication based approaches. If you've been recently diagnosed with PCOS or you've had PCOS for a long time and you're wondering what the heck do I do now and what do I need to do to reduce my symptoms, this podcast exists to show you exactly that. If you have PCOS and you want a strategic approach to help you lose weight, banish acne, stabilize your cycles, and reduce anxiety-inducing hair growth, then I would love to invite you to register for my free PCOS Masterclass. In this masterclass, I'm going to be breaking down my exact process that I use when I'm helping clients like you reduce and resolve their PCOS symptoms without medication. To get access to the masterclass, all you need to do is head to the link in the show notes, or you can access it directly by going to celendouglas.com forward slash webinar hyphen registration hyphen EG, or you'll find that link in the show notes below. Have you considered taking Ozempic? I am genuinely so concerned about this drug. It has taken the internet by storm and I am seeing Ozempic being prescribed more and more for PCOS, often off-label as a weight loss drug. In this episode, I am chatting with none other than nutritionist Steph Lowe about Ozempic. We cover our concerns around the use of this drug, including not just the commonly discussed side effects, things like nausea, reflux, vomiting, changes to taste, perception, diarrhea, and more, but also the less discussed but wildly serious side effects like risks of thyroid cancers, long-term starvation, rebound weight gain, mental effects. Health effects of no longer finding pleasure in food. If you are struggling with PCOS and weight loss, I really do understand that it can feel like you have no other option. I also understand that it can feel as though you've tried everything and that this might feel like it's your last resort. But as we discuss in this episode, There is always a reason why your body is not losing weight and often that reason just has not been properly explored yet. Before we dive into this episode, if you've ever enjoyed any of my episodes and you find value in them, please do me this huge favor and leave a rating and review. It really, really helps the show and I read all of them and I'm very, very grateful for you doing that for me.
1: Hello, Selene. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Steph. Thanks for having me. So this is a conversation that we've had before with Dr. David Harper, but certainly through a different lens. Um, I know it's one that you feel quite passionate about, as do I. Um, Obviously, a bit of a sensitive topic, so we're quite cautious of the discussion today, but really wanting to present the facts on Ozempic and our you know thoughts and concerns and some long-term considerations so i'm looking forward to hearing from you about that um but just for the benefit of those that either haven't heard the previous episode or aren't quite across the ozempic um viral (laughs) boom of of 2023 um take us through what it is and you know what it's usually prescribed for and Mm -hmm. then we'll talk about like off-label uses
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So Ozempic is a drug that is um, used to help or supposed to be used to help people with type 2 diabetes, lose weight, um, essentially helping them to better regulate their blood sugar levels. But we are seeing it being used off-label a lot (laughs) um, for weight loss in general. And there are definitely, I mean, lots of issues even with the proper label use of it, I'm going to say, but more issues even with it being used off label, which we'll definitely, um, dive into today. And, you know, I work a lot with clients who have PCOS and I'm definitely seeing it being used more and more, um, even sometimes alongside or as an alternative to metformin. And there's just so many issues with this, which we'll get into today.
1: Mm. Yeah, I remember when um, David and I were talking about it, it was just obviously early days after the, um, I guess it was really the influencer sort of campaign or Mm. hashtag on (laughs) TikTok that brought it into everyone's awareness. But it's so fascinating. You and I were talking about this off air and I sort of encourage everyone to do it. You know, if you go on to com, Mm. the first thing that you notice is the, important safety information that sort of pops yeah. up and i i would ask everyone to read that you know we can we can sort of paraphrase it but um one of the things you were saying is that it's hard to believe that anyone would read that and then still take the prescription and fill
0: it mm. yeah definitely and i mean i know i really really empathize with anyone that is really really struggling with their weight and has battled that for a really long time because I can imagine that if you read through all of those, um, you know, side effects and warnings on there and still decide to take it, you must be in a really, really desperate place to Mm. want to take that. So I, I, you know, I really do empathize with that, but just to sort of paraphrase your big one off there is going to be possibility of thyroid tumors and cancers, which if you start really messing with your thyroid in a negative way, the irony is you're probably going to struggle even more with your weight mm. if that's not the issue already, which we'll definitely cover today. Um, and then, you know, of course, our other possible side effects which are more serious than, or not more serious, I should say, but less sort of talked about than just like the nausea or the, the appetite suppression, but things like Inflammation of the pancreas, changes to your vision, kidney problems, gallbladder problems. They're all the things that are listed on the actual website, you know, really in plain sight. Um, And it's really hard to imagine that, you know, people would read through that and think, yeah, this is still the best option for me.
1: Mm. And I think, you know, we've spoken about the thyroid situation. I remember when I first spoke about that online, the the sort of rebuttal was, oh, it's one study and it's in rodents. And I'm like, okay, well, I mean, we obviously start all trials that way. Um, Potentially we have to consider obviously, yeah, of course we're not extrapolating straight to humans, but we definitely need to consider that risk. Mm. And the interesting thing about that, obviously, thyroid correlation is, we've discussed at length on the show about how important the thyroid is at regulating most things in the body, especially the metabolism. And I do think it's quite ironic that the the most serious side effect is listed as a thyroid issue. And then mm. of course you see it being prescribed um, to people who have thyroid issues that it's a, a, a terrible scenario to consider if they're being given a drug that potentially comes with a risk, but Um due to the volume of food that's usually consumed on Ozempic, there is obviously that clear concern about starvation, which I want to talk to you about, mm. which then would slow the thyroid down further. So it, it's it's such a disaster to consider that's what's actually happening by um, medically trained people.
0: Yeah, totally. I think as well just going back to the, you know, people saying that it's just one study and it's been done on mm. rodents. I'd sort of argue that the study is being done on us now in live time because- oh, yeah. We don't Mm. have a lot of, we we don't have long-term data as to Mm -hmm. what will happen. So, you know, you are the rodents in this situation. You are the clinical trial, trial, which is pretty frightening to say, Um, but you have to realize that that, that is what's happening. You know, we don't have that safety data. So Mm. um, yeah, the approximate amount of calories that is expected for someone to eat while taking Ozempic because a lot of what it does or or one of the main symptoms that you are likely to experience with it is quite extreme nausea, Mm -hmm. feeling really full. So even having changes to appetite, um, sorry, case perception as well. So that enjoyment of food really being changed. It's really designed to like put you off food so you just don't want a bar of it. And for anyone that has been pregnant and experienced trimester 1 nausea, that's sort of what I'm expecting it to feel like maybe worse. Um, and it's expected that you're eating around about 800 calories a day, which is nothing like your body mm. cannot survive of 800 calories a day. And I, you know, we look at so many different people's blood test results each week that actually eat enough food. <laughs> And they have trouble often getting in enough nutrients and getting that nutrient density out of food. So my mind looking at 800 calories a day is just going, there's no possible way anyone's mm. meeting their nutrient requirements and the fallout of that. Yeah, definitely down regulation in thyroid function. I know one of our earliest episodes that we did talking about thyroid was talking about those raw, raw materials that are needed for the production of thyroid hormone. So, you know, how many people do we look at that are zinc deficient, iodine deficient, you know, sometimes actually iron deficient that do eat enough food. What's happening to these people that are taking Ozempic? They probably have ridiculous deficiencies and that can very much lead to a downregulation in thyroid function. And then the other sort of issue I have around the whole thyroid thing is that can very much be the reason you aren't losing weight in the first Mm. place and are seeking out a drug like Ozempic or having that conversation with your doctor. And we know that people are not assessed properly for thyroid function at the very least before something like this is given out, like you should have a full thyroid panel done because I'm not saying it's the right thing to take it obviously, but at least explore all the avenues first as to why you actually can't lose weight. Um, And if it is, uh, yeah, you go, sorry. Oh, no, I was
1: just going to say, like, I think that's a really good point to expand on because we also discuss at length about how we feel about the standard tests that are approved for someone Mm not to mention the reference ranges, so how many yeah. people are told their results are fine, which is arguably a minimal screen with appalling reference ranges. And then they f- they're they the person that feels like, air quotes, nothing works when arguably they haven't even had a thorough investigation for someone to show them why they're not losing weight if that's the primary issue. Like it was only um, not even two months ago I was at a 40th and we were out and one of the girls was talking about how bad her reflux is because of the ozempic, mm. like she's that put off food and has all this, you know, bile coming up her throat, like disgusting, like, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. Um, and she sort of justified it by I've tried everything, I really just need to use this for the short term to lose weight. And I'm not judging that decision, but in anyone I really do wonder if it's probably because they haven't had the right support in the Mm. first place and the doctor feels like this is the quick fix, we have to stop looking for that short-term solution because they all have long-term consequences, especially for women, especially for reproductive age females. 800 calories is ludicrous. Like that's how I feel about the fast 800. I'm pretty vocal about that to clients. Like I don't like it over the long term. I think Mm. we have to look long-term. We can't just keep getting caught up in these Band aid um, approaches that are not solutions.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think we talked about this obviously before we started recording. That you know people can have that, uh, you know, we um, can have that mentality or that that thought process of you know I have tried everything and I have tried it all. This is like my last resort. Mm. And I'm not saying that you know that isn't true, but in most cases, there's an underlying reason. I would say in all cases, there's an underlying reason why you're not losing weight. And you just actually, it's not that you haven't tried a lot of things, Mm. you probably haven't tried the right things. And, you know, going off that thyroid example, we know that the testing is not looked into enough. And so, for example, you know, just to give a very specific example, you could have a TSH of Let's just say, which is too high and indicates that your thyroid could very well be underfunctioning. But you would be told in most cases across Australia, because it fits within that appalling reference range of being fine, that there's nothing wrong with your thyroid, when that could actually be the reason that you're not losing weight. Um, and starving yourself is not the answer to that.
1: I know. And it it does, it does really break my heart because. I do really agree with you in that when we're not saying that you haven't actually what feels like that you've tried everything. Like that is absolutely true. And then it's also true Mm. that your results are not fine. (laughs)
0: Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It's not genetic. Like, yes, you might have a bigger family and you might be more big boned, but that does not mean that that's a life sentence because we know that genetics load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger and the environment is largely what goes in your mouth and obviously your lifestyle and your stress. And for most women that, that I work with, and I'm obviously working with that mainly between 30 and 50 demographic, um, Thyroids, obviously, hormones, and if it's not that, it's something that mm-hmm. is another hormone. You know, so yeah. then you've been given a. a, a not, I keep going to say solution, but it's absolutely not a solution. <laughs> yeah, so you've yeah. been given a,
0: <laughs> a um, terrible a prescription. <laughs>
1: yeah, a recommendation. Um, you don't make any hormones out of thin air. I say this all the time. Like we aren't even educated to think. All right. Well, if I feel like I've got a hormone issue if it is Mm. thyroid or if it is perimenopause or if it is, you know, anything like high estrogen that a lot of people assume that they've got, if it is any of those hormone conditions, like women need to be educated that you need enough food, like you need adequate calories, you need adequate macronutrients, adequate micronutrients, and the list goes on. Like Mm. 800 calories a day is not enough, as you said. Like that's what you and I would eat before 11 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I would eat before leave. yeah, yeah, am, if yeah, I speak Me for too. myself, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and on like in the literature or even if you mm. look at the sort of marketing per se, what I find really interesting is that because of its um you know on label use about t- sort of diabetes, really, mm. which is where it's supposed to be prescribed, um it talks about how ozempic is proven to lower. A1C, which is a bit of an american yeah. term for our glycated hemoglobin or that that marker of your carbohydrate intolerance mm. um and then it goes on to talk about um ozempic may help you lose some weight but ozempic is not for weight loss but yeah. then when you click on it it tells you that you can lose 14 pounds and this is again mm. obviously american but if you roughly go seven kilos like that's going to be really um, encouraging mm. for those that feel like it is their last resort, that yeah, they're willing to put the the risks on the table.
0: They're willing to take the risk. Mm. Mm. I've, yeah, I've got definitely had clients that don't have a high A one C or even high insulin that have been prescribed it for um, weight loss. So let, let's and, talk about that. Mm,
1: mm. Mm-hmm. So because, one of mm, mm. you go. I was just going to say because if it, if the whole point of the drug is that mm. it's a type two diabetes medication, so it's arguably lowering the A1C because the person's not able to Mm -hmm. eat the food that was causing that in the first place, weight loss, which reduces any risk of a lifestyle disease like, you know, obviously cardiovascular and strokes and cancers and things like that. Mm -hmm. So even though we don't agree with it, we could obviously Mm -hmm. try to understand why someone with high HbA1C or high insulin would potentially be offered it, even though we don't agree with that. But yeah. how is it then being offered to people who don't have that in their metabolic history or in their pathology?
0: I mean, I don't know. This particular client, um, her insulin is well, it's about three or four. So, yeah, not mm. particularly high. Not her I can't issue. remember her. <laughs> not her issue. Mm. And I was really sure that it wouldn't be when we did her bloods. Cause I was looking at her diet history and I was saying, you don't even eat anything. Like you barely mm. eat any food. If anything, I want you to eat more food, but I know that, you know, that's something you're not going to trust me to do right now because you're really struggling with weight loss. And she already knew she had Hashimoto's and each time she would go back to the doctor they would just up her dosage. So she ended up being of thyroxine. On, of thyroxine yeah. Mm. And she she kept saying to me in that first appointment, I just, I don't even know if I have Hashimoto's because it, the treatment doesn't seem to be working. And I'm like, no, the treatment just doesn't usually work that they offer you. Mm. Um, that's, you know, the problem is there's a lot more to Hashimoto's. Anyway, we got, all her bloods back. And she had a lot of digestive symptoms. So I was like, let's go and do a GI map. And we did. And it was all over the place, like really Mm. high levels of zonulin, that marker of intestinal permeability and a whole host of overgrowths and all the things. And we also looked then at her um, bloods, like her micronutrients. And of course, because she's so petrified of, gaining any weight and she had been on that Ozempic, she had like severe zinc deficiency, severe B12 deficiency, which I'm guessing, you know, or kind of linking the dots here, the impacts of that on your um, gastric secretions and then, of Mm -hmm. course, leading to things like the overgrowth. I mean, we don't know if it was the chicken or the egg, right, but you can see how these connections happen. And then I can't remember yet. There was about three or four, like, and her zinc, like things like her zinc being eight, like very, very low. A B twelve of about fifty. I'm like, oh. how are you even functioning? And this particular An client B12. is mm-hmm, active mm. B twelve, and she is a solicitor. And I remember her saying, like, I literally, it's so embarrassing, I can't remember what I'm going to say, and I yeah. keep forgetting things all the time. Oh, I my brain neurological feels health. Yeah. like I am so foggy all the time, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Ozempic. I mean not that I would ever say is the best thing for you but definitely not the best thing for you like there's so many other things we need to work on here to obviously improve your thyroid function and um yeah I'm excited I've only sort of about to have my third appointment with her but excited mm. to hear how she's going but that's What's just mm, you go i was just thinking about it because obviously with
1: with lowering a1c or hb1c like we've got so much evidence that a lower carbohydrate approach yeah. works but you, you you can understand why people would find that hard right because it's a behavioral change and mm. it takes time mm-hmm. but the irony to me is because of the nausea and the reflux and the lack of appetite and the lack of desire around food like you're not even eating the food that you wanted to eat that gave yeah. you the diabetes <laughs> in the first place. So why wouldn't you just do a low carb diet and still get to eat like an abundance mm. of food? Like you could still a eat, delicious eat food. arguably 2000 calories a day, but just super low carb. We yeah. see it time and time again, like Ozempic's classic claim to fame is that it gets a HBONC down to seven. I mean, I can get you to bloody five with yeah. real food, right? I do yeah. that every day. Yeah. yeah
0: in way less than 12 months
1: (laughs) well yeah that and like you said delicious food like it's just about reframing and truly understanding what diabetes is As i Mm. always say like i think a big disservice is that it's got the wrong name because people don't know what diabetes mean like consumers Mm. don't know what it means they don't know what a1c is if you say carbohydrate intolerance a teenager Probably an eight-year-old could tell you that you need to eat less carbohydrates, right? So we have to educate people on why they have the high HBO one c or the high insulin for those people where that's the primary issue. But then, of course, for everyone else, it's the thorough investigation. It's working with someone who understands pathology through a functional lens because I agree with you. You said almost always and then you correct yourself to always. I'm like, find me a person. Yeah. You can't lose weight with perfect blood. It doesn't exist. Yeah, There'll always be something that they can improve. For sure. Even if it's stress, even if it's just cortisol and it might not be. God, stress is the biggest
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> just,
1: you know, so she hasn't slept in two
0: years. You know, it's significant, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, gosh, you might lose weight, but just think about all the other symptoms then you're mm. gaining as a result. Like you know, the nausea, the feeling full, the reflux, like you mentioned, that person that, you know, mm. struggling with the honestly, just repulsion from food. And how's that going to impact your social life? Like yeah. food, that just makes me miserable to even think about, like, there's so much joy in food. And I, you know, it's wrapped up in every culture and celebrating, yeah. connecting with others, that whole part of your, like, you're going to have to find new ways to get that, sense of joy because it's definitely not coming from food anymore if you're um, doing that. And then, again, like that long, what what is the long-term plan? Because we talked before we started recording about um, a study showing that after one year withdrawal, there were, I can't remember the exact size of the study, it was fairly sizable, um, participants had gained, regained two-thirds of weight once they'd come mm-hmm. off it. And their markers or risk factors for, um, you know, poor, poor cardiovascular health had all were actually all worse off than when they first they took. Done. Yeah, wow. so showing that 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 you know um, losing weight and then reget rebound weight gain is actually worse than never losing it at all, right? So again, you might think it's a quick fix, or I'll just take it for X amount of time until mm-hmm. I've achieved this, but. You know, even things like if you are only eating eight hundred calories a day, that's obviously gonna really damage your metabolism, and you can't when you come off it and you do get an appetite back, <laughs> like what you know I just don't understand the thought process around this. Mm. You're either going to have to increase calories like ridiculously gradually at like 50 calories a week or something like that for, you know, reverse diet, your way out of that, which I think a lot of people just wouldn't even have the education around doing that. So then they gain all of the weight back sadly and the mental health implications of all of that are huge as well. Yeah, the enjoyment piece is so interesting because
1: this conversation was at a 40th Mm. after this like, I'm not kidding, it would have been like a four-course (laughs) amazing um long lunch at one of melbourne's very popular well-known restaurants and i felt so sad that she couldn't Mm. eat the food i was like oh you know that's that's not you know not enjoying food for what it is that sharing that that enjoyment as well as nourishment and you know being able to find that balance that beautiful relationship with food i think that's a really interesting side to it because i wonder about um yeah the longer term sort of yeah psychological I think it would be equally with what you said about the rebound like obviously lots of health parameters are worse Mm. but the psychology around that Mm. and the failure and the perpetuation of the original mentality about how hard it is to lose weight was like in a console when I'm working with someone in this sort of situation I find myself saying something along the lines of, you know, I really believe that it's easy for us to maintain our ideal weight. And they look at me like I have three heads because they feel the exact opposite. Mm.
0: Whereas
1: I have a lived experience of mm. what I'm saying, you know, mm-hmm. I eat well, but I'm far from perfect. I wouldn't even say that I'm 80, 20. I've been the same weight for, well, since I had Rose, like, you know, that's a fairly sizable time to test the theory. Um And I'm actually leaner than I've ever been and I'm turning 40. You know, everything else would say that it should be harder for me and um, I've got, everyone knows I've got a a big dieting history with a disordered eating as as a young teenager and I've corrected that. I know Mm. I've corrected that metabolic damage, Mm -hmm. but it took a long time. And so when I see people doing 800 calories and I can see the metabolic damage that they're causing and they're not thinking about it, it frightens me because I also had that lived experience of how long it takes. Mm. Um, And as a practitioner, I'm very good at zooming out and looking at the long term. But when you tell someone that, I don't think they hear you because they're so obsessed with weight. And that's what's really a problem.
0: Well, I mean, if someone said it to you when you were in that stage, would you have heard them?
1: Oh, as a teenager with the level of education, I did not have. Yeah. No, but these are adults. adults and it's, a, yeah. it's 20 years later mm. in terms of access to information heard and it. the world that we have with podcasts and social media and mm. the good and the bad of that, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think some people are... are I can understand, you know, they get to that. I guess just extreme point of like mm. desperation with mm. with that with that goal. Um, yeah, it's very sad. I just don't think it's the right answer Um no, for so especially many reasons. The muscle reasons. loss, the muscle yeah. loss. Like we were talking about that with David
1: Harper as well about which obviously relates to what you were saying before about the rebound weight. Mm. You know, we need to people need to think about your weight being made up of muscle and fat and other things and that the metabolic tissue that that activity of muscle and having more muscle and less fat is actually what you're trying to achieve it shouldn't be about the scales but our culture is so obsessed with that like Mm -hmm. to me it feels similar to like the cholesterol issue that's just not going anywhere we're just not having better conversations about weight we're still talking about kilograms and women are still caring yeah. about what that number is when no one's talking to them about their body fat and their muscle mass and the, the things that mm. lose the muscle mass, like the dieting. Yeah. I mean, she needs more than 1,200 calories to turn her lights on for her basic metabolic function. So what's 800 doing? Like that's I definitely know. starvation.
0: I yeah. often think about that as, you know, m- most most nutritionists will say 1,200 calories is far too low for your body to do all of the things that it needs to for you to get anywhere close to even getting in the, the, the bare bone basics Mm. of, in terms of nutrients. So like, then we're talking about 800. It's, Mm. it's honestly crazy. It's so crazy. And when you you, I also think about when you are nauseous and this, I saw this in a, one client that I was working with, I'm even thinking about, you know, my experience of nausea, not taking Ozempic obviously, but in those Mm. early stages of pregnancy, I didn't feel like eating things that were actually healthy most of the time. I mean, I forced myself to, but I wanted like dry crackers and toast, plain toast and things like that. So even that 800 calories, I'm going to hazard a guess and say for a lot of people, it's probably not coming from like, you know, your most nutrient dense, real, mm. whole, beautiful foods. Um, so, Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's really true. Like that zinc of eight, I know a lot of people don't have sort of context around that, but that's probably one of the lowest ones I've heard. Mm, I see a lot of nines and tens, but mm, yeah, that would have been a big shock to her. Considering I do find, I mean, how how many reasons we love pathology, right? But for Mm. a lot of people, including myself, when I see my own blood test results, Mm. it's a real far up the you know where to take action because your bloods don't lie if you've done the right testing conditions if you've sure. followed the rules your bloods don't lie and so that's another way that i think we can get our you know our listeners today to think about their health because your bloods don't lie so it's about mm. collecting the information and working with someone who can be that detective for you and mm-hmm. it's honestly not a gp it's absolutely probably an integrated gp yep. if that's someone that you want to go and see but gps are trained at you know, to look at pathology in ICU, in acute scenarios. And so it's very, very different to your goals if it's about optimal health and understanding your thyroid and your insulin and your reproductive hormones and your nutrients and the list goes on. And that's why you and I and others always talk about pathology because it's so insightful and it's underutilised in a lot of those people. And back to what I was saying earlier, but underutilised in a lot of those people who feel like they've tried everything because, um, I don't think they've seen the right person.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely I agree that, you know, what you were saying, It. I'm sure it feels like you've tried everything.
1: Mm.
0: But it's not possible if, you know, you haven't had some kind of answer mm. Mm. as to why. And also, you know, it can obviously feel like you've tried everything and there might have been clues in what you have tried. It's just it, your tests are only as good as the person interpreting them.
1: Yeah. Right, as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I wonder, I wonder, like, obviously we won't test this with the sort of global (laughs) clinical trial that's running, but the other thing that I find quite interesting about it is with that lack of intake and the lack of the density of nutrient density of the food, I'd be really interested to hear what happens to the menstrual cycles of Mm. the women of that age, because I'd, I'd be hard to imagine that you wouldn't see some changes in the cycle in the wrong direction and how it might impact ovulation and the flow and totally. effects of that over the short, medium and long term for everything, including, you know, mood regulation and mental health and bone density and longevity, the sort of four key pillars that we think about when it comes to progesterone, not to mention fertility.
0: Yeah, totally. Mm. And I mean, if you do have fertility goals, you can't stay on it while you're pregnant anyway which for a lot of people should be a red flag in of itself (laughs) um Mm. yeah I just it's 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 an experiment really (laughs) Mm. so fascinating yeah
1: I was good to have this conversation
0: yeah definitely I um I think everyone should just think really carefully before taking something like ozempic very carefully it's good advice before we wrap up um what has been
1: your experience with having this conversation online like mm. i know you're you're very um careful with how you frame things but <laughs> i
0: try to be sometimes when it's not definitely. a client where
1: you can have a new <laughs> totally. conversation what's been happening like what's yeah, your experience yeah definitely
0: mm. um oh i try and always be tactful sometimes less than others <laughs> But I feel often like there is a bit of pushback, not just when I talk about Ozempic, but often like any metabolic health, um, whether it's like, um, you know, even A1C or referencing insulin or type 2 diabetes, these sorts of factors. I often get one or two people that um, bring it back to, I suppose, something around it being like, You know, my genetics, and that means I can't do anything about it, or they Mm -hmm. kind of push back against that, or you know, you don't know what it's like, and all of that, which, you know, I can appreciate. I don't know what it's like to really struggle with any of those issues. But I also really don't agree or support that lens of kind of like, well, it's my genetics and there's nothing I can do about it because I've just seen that it's really, it doesn't hold true. And I do think that it's really disempowering for people yeah. to actually believe that. I imagine carrying that. Yeah, because mm. then you're going, well, I've got to take Ozempic or Metformin or whatever it is because it's just my genetics. And, you know, I always say to clients, especially, you know, if they're filled out in their intake form, various things around their familial history or they might be worried about X, Y, Z. It's like, well, you know, what were your parents' lifestyles like? Mm. Were they drinking, smoking, eating garbage? Like what? Because if you're not living your life like that, that, you know, albeit genetic history isn't necessarily representative of yours. Like we have so much control over the expression of our genetics. And I think that sometimes those people who are pushing back against that perhaps aren't empowering themselves with that lens.
1: Oh, I think about this all the time. Like my my dad lives a very healthy life now in his Mm. 70s. But um, had a quadruple bypass mm. and has a very strong, you know, cardiovascular history. And when I fill out a medical form, I don't add it. Yeah, yeah. Because he was a smoker and yeah. he would have drunk a bottle of red wine a night and mm-hmm. ate a standard Western diet, as if that's my history. Like totally. if I put that on there, people would think I had some kind of risk because it is obviously very strong. I'm not dismissing mm. family mm. history. It's especially cardiovascular. It's you know second only to smoking in terms of um prevalence or outcome driven like for your mm. history but i don't i just don't see that as relevant for me because it's a fork in the road you either do what your parents do yep. and end up there or you choose a different way of living totally totally because your family it's, history is very powerful but it can be very motivating to
0: not end yeah. up
1: in that in that direction
0: yeah definitely i think it's just yet yeah, choosing to see things a different way and there is we know especially about type 2 diabetes. <clears throat> It's. I'm not saying it's going to be an easy experience for the person going through it, but it's incredibly simple to actually start reversing that. Mm. might not feel easy to do it, but it is simple.
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, I hate to say it, but if your only issue is high insulin, lucky you (laughs) because other people have a lot more to navigate, including like autoimmune diseases, which are arguably Um, a bit more challenging.
0: Mm, mm -hmm. yeah or
1: multiple things going on you know where where there's a longer longer journey to to equilibrium definitely if it's just your carbohydrate intolerance well you know what the driver is right so Mm -hmm. it's simple but not easy
0: Yeah. yeah yeah definitely awesome well thanks for being here i'll talk to you soon thanks so much for having me Before you go, a quick reminder that any information discussed on the PCOS podcast is general in nature, does not take into account your personal health circumstances, and of course, does not replace medical advice.